Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Well, hello, everybody. What's going on? Today is Wednesday. It is the 21st of September, 2022. I got my dog in here with me, so you may hear her moving around. Hopefully not too much. Anyway, let's get our contact info posted, and then we will jump in with the show. If you'd like to contact me, the easiest way to do so would be through the email address and there you can send either an email and I'll read it for you on the show or you can send an audio recording that you've done and I'll play it for you. The email address is firearmscafe at protonmail.com all one word firearmscafe at protonmail p-r-o-t-o-n-m-a-i-l dot com over on the website, which is firearmscafe.com, you'll find all my social media stuff and you will find a PayPal donation button. And if you ever wanted to support the show financially, you can click on that and follow the prompts. If you wanted to support the show, but financially is not in the cards right now, that's fine. I would ask that you uh, share any links to the show, to the website, or the easiest way would be just to send them some feedback. All right, I think that is it for the housekeeping stuff. Oh, you know, one last thing. I would like to thank everybody who has gone over and signed up for a Rumble account and has, uh, I guess, subscribed or followed my channel over there. I greatly appreciate it. Like I said, I think that Rumble is probably going to be a great contender for YouTube. I don't think it will ever replace or usurp YouTube's place. YouTube is just too big. It's too much of a financial juggernaut, I think, to be replaced. But I do think something like Rumble, especially as YouTube kind of continues to do more censorship stuff, uh, I think a lot of people are going to go over there. Hopefully it doesn't turn into just sort of like a right-wing site or anything like that. I'd like to actually see it be a thing that just welcomes everybody and is a true free speech platform. And for reals, I think that's it. So let's talk a little bit about, oh, I guess we'll we'll continue to call it maybe our ATF minute that's not quite a minute, but we'll also put under that umbrella any type of legal stuff that's going on. So I heard about a case in which a guy had um, was under indictment and so and what was his name queer jose queros i think and he was under a felony indictment on on a burglary charge and i guess while he was under that indictment he went and tried to purchase a a, a 22 pistol at a gun store he filled out the 4473, which is the, the form you have to fill out when you're going through a FFL dealer. And on there, there's a, a, a list of questions. And one of those questions are, are you under any felony indictments or charges or you know this, that, or the other thing? And he put on there, no, and which was a, a falsification of a form. And 
then he the uh, I think there was a delay and then after the three-day waiting period he came back got the firearm and then later they found out sort of I guess it was caught or something like that anyway he got charged and was convicted of the um, the falsification of the form and then you know of, of having of having a firearm when he wasn't supposed to that type of stuff so once he got convicted of that what he came back later and did obviously through his attorneys was that he said no under the strict interpretation of New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin under in that case under that strict interpretation where you have to look at I think it's uh, text tradition and history I guess and and be able to to go under really strict stuff he was saying that the just the the question of being under indictment is unconstitutional from the aspect of uh, in in simplest terms it basically is from my understanding of what they said it, it would be a violation kind of under due process stuff because it's saying he's not convicted of anything so anybody if they were under any indictment just and, and i guess before we do that we have to say okay well what's the difference between an indictment and a conviction so all an indictment means is that you've been formally charged and you can have um, you can have several indictments meaning you have several charges or, or uh, counts um, and, and when I was a, a probation officer and we would do a violation of probation and things like that you could have you would have um, you could list out several things that they had done separately you just wouldn't say oh they broke the rules you would list out what all the rules were so you could say you know of his terms and conditions of probation so and so broke rule one rule five rule eight and then you sort of list out what those are and then so it's similar i think it's um it's basically like a formal charge so it would kind of i think be like when we would go to court and they would say okay here's at their advisory hearing you would say here are the here's your violation of probation and here's the the separate counts that they have alleging blah 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 and so i think that's similar that doesn't mean even though they've been to that initial hearing that they haven't been convicted of anything or they haven't been quote unquote i guess found guilty of anything so in that there there are still though even with that there are still certain restrictions and you have to be careful on what those restrictions are so you can't say oh you know we found you uh, let's say in 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 and we'll go back to the juvenile probation stuff which was what where I worked I worked in the juvenile division so you would say oh they were out past curfew as one of the things and then we're so therefore because of that serious nature but they didn't do anything let's just say that they were out hanging out with their friends on a street corner or something but you know they were just sitting or you know down at a circle k parking lot just sitting around shooting the bull or something like that but again they were out past curfew you wouldn't then say oh we're going to lock you up or put you on an ankle monitor or something like that we'd say okay here's what we're going to do 
between now and your next court hearing, you got to make sure that you're, you know, blah, 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 and you might get additional terms, that type of thing. So what this guy is saying is that it's not something like that, that what this is doing is it is curtailing and restricting or infringing upon a constitutionally protected right that I have. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what how it goes forward. I, th I thought that they had held up like maybe the guy's preliminary, oh, what would we want to say it? Um, preliminary request or I, I, I don't know the exact legal term, but what they wanted to do is they, they were, he was, he was basically asking the court, say, hey, this, the thing that you've convicted me of on this form, that needs to be sort of set aside or, or, or um, reversed. And again, what he would be saying is like, if, if we look at the history uh, of when it's okay to deprive somebody or to take away somebody's right to keep and bear arms, what he is saying is that if we look at the text and the, and the history and the tradition of what the Second Amendment was saying is that it, you wouldn't be able to curtail somebody's right based on something that you haven't been uh, what, convicted or what we used to call adjudication. And those can mean kind of different things and that's maybe a, a deal for another day. But So again, it goes back to kind of a due process type thing that we're looking at. Now, some people would say, man, this dude is probably not the, the, the person we want to be the poster boy for some of this stuff, meaning that he's probably not the guy you'd want to have over to your house for Christmas dinner. You may even not want to have him live in the, you know, across the street from you or even in the same neighborhood. It sounds like, it looks like this guy uh, maybe a thief or a burglar or, or, or something like that. However, sometimes we don't get to choose who the, oh, what do we want to say, like the plaintiff or the victim or something like that is going to be. I remember a long time ago, there uh, it was one of those Law and Order shows, and I think it was, and I'd only, I'd only seen a few of them, I think it was like the Special Victims Unit, which generally on the show dealt with like people who were victims of sexual assault or something like that. Anyway, one of the things was on one of the shows is they had a person who was a victim of a crime, but the guy was a, was gar, was a garbage person, was not a good person, was not a nice person. And they, I think it was in the investigative thing. So with the police, their kind of captain or whatever was talking to the two detectives and he was saying, remember, we don't choose the victim. Meaning, if, if somebody has perpetrated a crime on somebody, it doesn't matter whether that person's necessarily good or bad. We have to not uh, fall into sort of almost like a, a vigilanteism of deciding, well, we're going to decide that because you're, you're not a great person, that then the laws don't protect you or don't apply to you. And a lot of times, in and I think going forward in a lot of these cases that we're going to see, some of these people are going to be criminals. But that doesn't mean 
that maybe they're, oh, what do I want to say? Their proceedings don't have merit, I guess, maybe the, if that makes sense. And, and I've talked about before on previous shows, the idea that people sometimes get it twisted and they say, man, all these laws, they seem that they're just there to protect the criminal class. It doesn't seem that when a regular person comes in, it doesn't seem that they, that these laws apply to them. And that's not really the case. The, the reality is, is that the laws have to protect everybody. And if that person is eligible for protection under, under the law, then, then that's what it is. And then if we as a society decide, oh, you know, that's, that shouldn't be this, then we can go in and change those things. But really, the, the majority of the laws are, I should say, supposed to be there to protect the average everyday person who is not intent on harming anyone, who doesn't want to defraud somebody or take their property or, or cause harm to someone or, or to that, that person's property, do damage to it. That's what the laws are really there to do in, in maybe it's kind of its purest form. Does that always happen in this country? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no, it doesn't. And in most countries in the world, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. Uh, however, I think that what we're seeing with the, with the Bruin decision and with how they're saying that you have to interpret restriction or regulation or in some cases uh, re a rescinding of a person's ability to own a firearm that that has to be under a very strict scrutiny and has to and has to meet certain criteria. Uh, the government has to meet the burden of that. And what we're seeing and what we're finding out is that a lot of these lower courts are where maybe they would have ruled in the past. They would have said, nah, this is still fine, or the ATF can do this, or the federal government can do that they understand that there's a precedent set. And even if those persons, let's say if those judges were, oh, what do we call, maybe uh, activist judges, or if they were advocates, maybe for gun control, they, they understand that, that the, at the highest level that this is how they have to interpret things. And a lot of them are understanding too and know I can rule this way and it may go up to a higher court, but it's just going to be overturned. And at some point, I think some of those guys, not all of them, but and some of them will do that no matter what, because they are true activists and advocate judges. But I think the majority of them who are now are, are going to say like, well, look, this is what the, what the precedent is. This is how this is how the ruling is going to be interpreted, not just by the Supreme Court, but by several other federal courts and several other circuit courts throughout the land. So going forward, I think that especially two, three years from now, we're going to see a lot of stuff get challenged. I think we're also going to see maybe a 
what's the word I look at? Uh, maybe hesitancy, if that's the right word, in some of these lower courts wanting, especially if, again, they're those activist type judges or advocacy type judges, they are not going to want to take certain cases because they know even if they rule against it, it's just going to be kicked up to a higher court and that higher court is going to is going to rule against them. So that by them not taking the case, it may buy them time, so to speak, if that makes sense. So but it, 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 like I said, it will be very interesting on who is going to be bringing these cases forward. If we go back and we look, and I'm not sure what's happened with it, maybe some of you guys know and you can either write in or, or record some audio and give me your feelings on it. On the, I think it was, it was his name, Matthew Hoover, the guy that was involved with the auto key cards, and he wasn't manufacturing them. I don't even think he was distributing them i think all he was saying is hey you know there's this guy over here um like bill jones or whatever who i don't know what that guy's name was he's the one who makes this this auto key card i went back and i watched some of those videos of him prior to all this stuff happening to him with the atf charging him and all this other stuff and what it seemed like happened is is that once so Hoover, um, the guy, again, you know, Bill Jones or whatever his name we're going to call him, made these novelty metal cards that had, and I, I don't know if they were just printed or if they were engraved into the metal to where you could do an auto key card, which does something to the sear where you can drop in on certain AR-15s, not all of them, but on certain ones you'd be able to do that which allows the, the, the regular AR-15, if it's that certain type, to be able to fire full auto and, uh, from semi-auto. My understanding of the law, and I think I might have talked about this a little bit earlier, but my understanding of the way that the stuff like that was interpreted is that if you said, oh no, this has like sort of the plans on it, but it's not, it's, it's original intent is is a novelty item it's got a bottle opener on this side it's got like a, a little um like a bit driver like it's got the little pentagon shape cut out to where you could put like a bit in there and you could use it as a screwdriver or as a nut driver or something like that if the thing had a dual purpose then they can't say that that is solely designed to modify a um a semi-automatic rifle into an automatic rifle, which without the proper licensing and, and tax stamp and all that other stuff can't do. Uh, and they would, I think you would also probably have to have a, a, a certain AR-15 lower that was of a certain date or something like that. I think it'd have to be pre-86 if I remember. I may have my dates wrong on that, but I think that's what you would have to have too. But again, because this guy has said, oh no, this is designed as a, a bottle opener, it's designed as a coaster, it's just something, it's a novelty item. It's, it's not meant for you to do that, which may be sort of the same thing as the solvent trap. They may say, because it has 
a separate purpose. It's an, its original purpose is a solvent trap. And people say, oh, that's not really a solvent trap. Well, it's a solvent trap until you either drill a hole at the end of it. It's not a suppressor then. And that's sort of under strict um, interpretation of that. You can't, you can't say, oh, you have constructive intent. You, if, if in your garage you had a let's say a lead pipe and you had a some other some other fittings or or you had a, a tap and die set to where you could thread everything and you had all the pieces that could make a suppressor but you ne you know but you just you just have them as part of just your regular tool set so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the uh, out of the normal thing for guys to have tap and die sets for guys to have a, uh, a lot of guys have metal lathes in their home. Well, you can make all that stuff on that metal lathe. So does that mean if you have the stock, that then you, that stock is now a suppressor? Because that's kind of what they're saying. But anyway, kind of getting off on track on that. I do think there will be probably injunctions on that type of stuff uh, on the solvent traps if it hasn't happened already. I can't remember. If they, there's so much stuff that's going to, it's going to be challenged. Uh, I also think for sure they're going to be able to get rid of a lot of the magazine capacity restrictions. They're going to be able, I think, the whole idea of the pistol brace is is going to be thrown out. I think they're going to, and the, the even the idea of short barrel rifles are going to be, are, are going to be challenged especially when you can do a thing of it's just adding a piece of plastic on the back right so let's say that on your ar-15 pistol that you've just got a oh you know how on the bottom of the crutch and on the crutches they have that little rubber piece that goes over so it won't slip around let's say then that you have something like that that goes on the back of your buffer tube are they going to consider that a stock uh, or do you just have it to where you're like, well, I, I have this on here primarily because when I store it, I store it on that buffer tube and I want the, the uh, rubber boot piece there or whatever to keep it from slipping and sliding around. Or the ATF has said, well, in an emergency, if you were in a self-defense situation or a lethal, we'll call it maybe a lethal force situation where you're actually kind of defending your life, that if you quote-unquote, accidentally shouldered it, why they wouldn't charge you. Well, how magnanimous of them. But this type of stuff is ridiculous. It, it's, again, like we talked about prior, people aren't, aren't going to, the, the whole purpose for that was to prevent concealment. Nobody's going to conceal those things. So the cat's already out, on, uh, out of the bag on a lot of this stuff. There's so much stuff that's floating around out there. If they think there are, 20 million braces how many ar-15 uppers do you think that there are how many well and again it's it wouldn't take much for a what we used to call like a shade tree mechanic or maybe even a shade tree machinist to cut down a barrel on his own to cut down the the handguard to do all this stuff if you wanted you know with the availability of all the pieces and parts that you can get, and again, this is why they want to 
say every part of a, of a firearm is in itself a firearm. And I don't think that will, I don't think that will hold muster. I think that the idea that we have, and again, this would fall sort of under that tradition and history and, and probably under the intent of the text of the Second Amendment would be that we have a tradition in this country of you making your own firearms at home and if, for your own use. So I could see that the idea of the short barrel rifle would be like, look, if you make it yourself and you're not going to sell it, whether you assemble it from parts or kits or from different things, that's you, know, you can't sell it. And if you want to sell it, it has to go through then an FFL dealer and they have to serialize it. Well, probably most people, if you maybe had a homemade gun, you know, I don't know, would people be kind of leery of buying one? I, I don't know that it would be that much different than if you if you had a buddy of yours that that built their own or assembled their own AR-15 and you took a look at it and you're like, ah, everything looks good here, you know, everything, and you know, it's fine, or maybe you want to change the barrel out or something like, you know, so again, it, Oh, I think a lot of this stuff is going to be challenged and I think there's going to be a lot of people that have standing especially I think with the with the braces because people are saying well you're saying I have to destroy it or I have to register it you said it was legal at one point and now it's not you can't just arbitrarily change the rules and this could also fall under the idea of well I'm just I'm building what I'm going to build um, and a lot of these things a lot of your AR lowers and things like that, they already have serial numbers on them. Also with 3D printing, I think they are going to, it's gonna be almost impossible to enforce certain things with 3D printers. The, about the only way you could do that is you'd have to take go in and, and take away the 3D printers. And again, it goes back to the idea of, well, what if somebody ha is a machinist and they're somewhat talented can they make pretty much everything? And it's like, yeah, pretty much. If you had a lathe and a mill, you could pretty much make just about whatever you wanted. You could get a bunch of pop cans, melt down the aluminum. It may not be the highest aircraft grade, but you could do it that way. You could, you know, there's tons of, uh, what do we want to call them? Backyard foundries in, in the country. There's a, there's a guy that is on YouTube. He's an Arizona boy like me. And he you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this test to make this body armor to see how this is, or I'm going to melt down all this stuff and make this, or I'm going to do this and do that. And yeah, and, and I've seen another guy on YouTube where he actually did. He took a bunch of aluminum cans, melted them down, made a form, and then uh, because he because he has the, the, the plans for an actual receiver, a lower receiver, are available, he was able to make his own AR receiver. Is it the, the probably the best one you could ever have in the world? Probably not, but I mean, he, he can make them. There's tons of people that are 3D printing stuff and they're doing experiments with it. As the materials increase in, what do we want to say? Maybe viability as far as firearm lowers and things go, as those plastics either get develop to be stronger or as the what's the word I'm looking the compounds of it if they're able to maybe kind of uh, somehow mesh a little bit of metal into it so that once you once it goes through the printer 
and comes through. Or maybe they'll have metal printers. I, I think they have maybe some of those on a industrial scale. But, but again, it's only a matter of time. And with with the Bruin ruling, I think that we're going to be pretty protected. Go so you know so again the the idea of the eighty percent lower. Why was it eighty percent? Again, arbitrary number. Just arbitrarily made up. Why not a fifty percent thing to where it's only fifty percent done? You know, I, I don't know. Um, things like the polymer eighty. I think those kind of kits are going to come. I think the idea that you can't order it as a kid or it has to be a uh, it has to go through an FFL I think that stuff is all going to be challenged and all going to go away um, the idea too I think that let's say if you had one from a few years ago and you made it and do you now have to try and put a serial number on there do you have to stamp it and again they 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 want you to stamp it a certain way and do all this other stuff so I don't know how are they ever going to know that you got one? Let's say if you bought one for cash at a gun show, how would they ever know? There'd be no record of it. Let's say if you bought one from Brownells or Midway, is Brownells or Midway going to cooperate with them? Maybe, maybe not. It goes back though to the thing that we talked about before about the um, Visa and MasterCard and, and American Express basically coding stuff to where the government would be able to know um, you know, who, who's buying stuff from what. At that point, I suppose, places like Brownells, places like uh, Midway, some of the other online could just do say, hey, you can buy just a gift card for here. And then all it would show is that you bought a gift card. And then you could buy kind of whatever using that gift card and then they're just, you know, so... Again, there's there's workarounds, there's ways around all this stuff. You could do a thing where maybe you sent in a um, a check, or you could do maybe certain wire. You know, I don't know with the wire transfers. Again, you're you're having to deal with outside outside businesses or outside. I hesitate to use the word agencies, but uh, institutions is probably a better word. But uh, a lot of the, the word agency probably is going to be a more apt descriptor. As time goes forward, especially when they're getting more and more in bed with the government, a lot of these institutions. So anyway, I've rambled on long enough. Let me know. I'm always interested to know if you guys have heard of any new cases, if you think maybe my interpretations are wrong, or if you want to say, oh, you know, on this you were right, but on that you were wrong. Let me correct you on this. That, that None of that stuff hurts my feelings or anything like that. Uh, so I welcome that in... Um, in the uh, uh, pursuit of clarity. All right, so the place to send in any feedback, corrections, suggestions, or comments are, is, I guess I should say, since it's only one place. Did you hear my dog? Anyway, is Firearms Cafe at ProtonMail.com. All one word. Firearms Cafe at ProtonMail, P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L. Dot com. All right, my friends, I will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>